You're listening to episode 51 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and the offseason has officially begun. But what does that mean for next year? everybody welcome to what we have deemed season two of chirps starting in the off season with episode 51 i'm tara wellman as always with alex christopoli and we are starting off this season this show with the only kind of news we get this time of year and that is the gold glove winners and the postseason press conference that took place on tuesday afternoon at bush stadium so Alex, I don't know that that's much in the way of news, but I feel like first we should congratulate Colton Wong on finally winning a gold glove. Yes, uh, very well deserved. I think uh, we would both agree. And even better, he won his second straight Fielding Bible Award. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe that was uh, that was created by Bill James, right? Uh, I believe so, uh, yeah. Yeah, several uh, years ago. And uh, I, I think that's the more reputable of the two awards, although... For obvious reasons, the Rawlings Gold Glove Award is seems to be the one the players covet more because it gets more publicity and, you know, it's a more, at least as far as the media is concerned, I think a, a more prestigious award. So, yeah, I, I was very, very happy for him. Uh, it reminded me, you know, last year he lost to uh, LeMahieu and, um, you know, Colton seems like a guy who it's not hard for him to find a chip on his shoulder. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I... I was hoping he would come into this season, this past season, you know, and was something to prove. And it almost seemed like that's what he did. Uh, on a similar note, I was kind of glad Jack Flaherty uh, wasn't a finalist for the Cy Young <laughs> Award. Uh, I, hope he's, I hope it kind of made him angry. And he, uh, not that these guys, you know, need too much extra motivation at this level. Uh, obviously, they're all very good at what they do and they're all already very motivated but yeah he seems like a type of guy who I don't know might use that as fuel to have a really good season yeah I know we always say that these guys don't they don't need any extra motivation um they are human (laughs) they're not robots and so that kind of thing I think it does matter I mean obviously it mattered to Colton Wong to win a gold glove and and I was talking about this with someone else the other day I don't think it mattered as much because like the gold glove award is the be all end all for him but just because to some level that is a a a symbol of I don't know an equivalent of kind of status that goes beyond just your team or just your division or just the people that see you all the time it's it's um you know, something that all of baseball is aware of, and it has merit because of that. So I think for Colton, um, it it did matter to him to kind of prove that he maybe got snubbed last year. And as much as we talk about, and we'll talk about this a little more in a minute, as much as we talk about the Cardinals maybe not being the most analytically minded team, um, like these guys know their numbers, right? They know their stats. They know where they stand, especially someone like Colton Long. He, he's going to know those things. And he did last year and um, wasn't afraid to say that based on that, he probably should have won that award. Um, and, and I think for him to go out and get better because of that. Um, and there are a lot of factors there that we could probably spend a whole, sh- well, I could, 
I could probably spend a whole show talking about um, the ways that Colton Wong got better this year, the the things that sort of allowed him the space to do that. But I do think that he did have a chip on his shoulder based on not being recognized for his defensive ability last year and being able to come in this year and get even better. Um, I think it I think it does matter to these guys as much as they can say that it doesn't as much as we can all say it shouldn't because they should do their job the best they can regardless uh, but they're human and and that kind of stuff affects all of us on some level yeah he, he can finally put his name next to Marcelo Zunas right yes they are now almost equals <laughs> uh, for whatever that's worth so that was the the big news um None of the other nominees won for the Cardinals, including Paul DeYoung, Yadier Molina, Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, I didn't really care, did I'm you? Not, yeah, I'm not super surprised by that. I feel like they all made really strong contributions. Um, but I don't know that any of them were kind of like consistently spectacular. <laughs> and that's, thought, you know, the eye test version. But then when you look yeah. at the numbers and how they break down, it, it makes sense the way that, that things went the other way. Again, it's it's a gold glove. It's not the most important thing in the world, but I I I didn't feel particularly that anyone was dramatically snubbed. I was super impressed with Paul Goldschmidt's uh, defense at first base this year, as I yeah. as I think you were as well, and uh, almost everyone who watched a bunch of Cardinals games uh, was as well. But I, I I I didn't really watch you know Anthony Rizzo day in day out. Um, so it would be unfair for me to say like Paul Goldschmidt absolutely deserved that award. And I don't know if I trust the defensive metrics on one, uh, on just one full season at a first base defense. <laughs> so I don't even know. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to get too upset about Paul Goldschmidt not winning that award. Uh, you know, th- those awards, the, the gold glove awards, those kind of go to like the, uh, th- those are better for like the middle defense. You know what I mean? Like the outfielders and the, you know, uh, something about the first base. First base to me is just a step below, a step above, I should say, pitcher. You know when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to winning the Gold Glove. So well, you not- know, it's. I feel like two things. Uh, one, I feel like to be a really good first baseman, you're probably not going to make a lot of plays that people are going to think were spectacular because you're kind of on the back end of a lot of plays and you being good at your job is not going to look flashy. It's going to look like you doing your job. Um, So it's not always going to be, yeah, you're, you're bailing guys out. You're, you're uh, reaching for a throw. You're making a good tag, whatever. It's not necessarily about your range or about your athleticism or any of those other things that come into play when you're talking about, the way that Colton Wong was able to save runs defensively or whatever. So I, I do think it's a little bit different. That's not to take away from what Paul Goldschmidt did though. And I think in part, what was so impressive about him is the direct comparison to what first base defense has looked like for the last couple of years for the Cardinals. And I think when you talk about him as a steadying force, it's not necessarily that he did something that other first basemen in baseball can't do. It's that he did what you hope your first baseman will always do. And and I think that can't be undersold as part of what made the defense so much better. But I don't know that it was like that in and of itself isn't this needs to be the best defensive first baseman in the National League kind yeah. of recognition for me. Same here. <clears throat> um, Mike Schilt also is one of the final three, the nominees for... 
manager of the year in the NL, which I do think is interesting. There's so much, there's so much angst among Cardinals fans. And I, I feel like it's probably this way with every team, um, particularly the teams that haven't won or haven't made deep postseason runs very recently. But as much as Mike Schilt had to deal with this year in kind of willing this team to success at times, and we've talked about this a number of times, um, he he made a share of mistakes and it was a, a strong learning curve in the postseason. We talked about that as well. But I do think that it's he certainly deserves to be in that conversation based on the way this team was able to gen- we talk about this being a results game, right? They generated results even when it didn't make sense how because of how many guys were underperforming. I think you at least have to acknowledge some of that being to the credit of Mike Schilt. So, uh, if will he win? I don't know. <laughs> but it it was I do feel like it's fair to have him in that conversation based on what the Cardinals accomplished this year. Yeah, he did a good job. Uh and it's a regular season award. Right. Anyway, uh um, luckily for him, because he, he did not have a good postseason. Uh, so similar to Goldschmidt, if he wins, great. If not, I, I won't. Uh, that's fine too. Uh, there's other deserving people as well, like Craig Council and who's the other finalist? Brian uh, uh, Snicker. Snicker. Yeah. Have you ever read the book uh, uh, One Shot at Forever? Baseball. I've not. Oh my gosh, it might be my favorite baseball book ever. But okay. It's Brian Snicker is a. Um, almost by accident, a key player in the book, but it's about this small, small high school, uh, kind of near where I grew up called Macon, Illinois. It's a true story. Um, and how they almost won the state championship, um, in Illinois in like the early seventies. Uh, and it's like a high school of like, uh, barely over a hundred people. Um, and this was when they didn't have like classes, you know? So they mm. played like Lane Tech of Chicago, of like 4,000 students, uh, <laughs> in the, uh, championship. And Brian Snicker was on that uh, Macon team. Uh, anyway, that's a side note. Very good book. Everyone should read that. It's by Chris Ballard, I believe. Um, but yeah, that's all. There's really not much to talk about right now. There's like- there, there really isn't. Uh, one thing, though, as far as Mike Schilt is concerned, he will be around a few more years. The end-of-season press conference was Tuesday afternoon, and the biggest announcements were that Everyone signed new contracts <laughs> as far as the front office guys, uh, Mike Schilt, and the entire field staff will be returning for 2020. Um, other than that, there wasn't a ton of news, which there never really is at these things. They're kind of just like everyone saying, so that was a thing that happened, and let's do it again next year, <laughs> which essentially is is what this press conference was as well. Alex, Alex, I don't know if you got to see or hear or read anything about it, but it was not super exciting to I, say the least. I, I, I didn't watch it. Uh, I, I mostly just read about the, uh, mostly just read the reactions on Twitter. Um, it <laughs> didn't sound like a whole lot was said other than just uh, temper expectations uh, <laughs> for the yeah. off season. So it's going to be another, just off season of this, which is uh, what we've grown accustomed to. Yeah, it wasn't anything particularly out of the ordinary. Uh, there were a lot of we don't really know yet to answers to questions about individual players or um, improvements they can make or where someone fits into a lineup if they go out and, and bring someone else in. Um, there were some 
I don't know. There were it's, it in relation to like Adam Wainwright and Marcelo Zuna as far as free agents. They're working on Wainwright. Probably not so much on Ozuna. Neither of those things are particularly surprising. Um, there was a moment of uh, that, that became sort of the the controversial non-answer of the day, which really was about payroll and if there was flexibility to increase that next year. And the bottom line answer was no, but it was really said in a way that was mostly like, well, in comparison to other teams, we actually spend a lot of money. And oh that's not a great way to uh, to try to pacify uh, a fan base that um, sees some significant holes in their team based on the way that they ended the season. So that was not a great highlight, although as far as non-answers go, it was pretty, pretty classic. Uh-huh. Um, and I guess that's that's sort of the the telling theme is that it doesn't sound like there's an emphasis on making huge moves this offseason, which I don't know about you. I'm I'm not terribly surprised by that, but you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to a lot of positivity coming out of that press conference. Yeah, it's super frustrating because there are two marquee free agents who would fill a position of need and you feel like not only that, they would kind of push either one of them, you feel like they would kind of push the team over the top um, on paper at least and not interested or, you know, we can only like they're in no universe. Does it seem like they're going to pursue, pursue these guys? Um, I want to say several years ago, Rob Maines, a baseball prospectus wrote, my favorite thing kind of on this epidemic, and this was several years ago um, before free agency seemed totally broken. And basically what he said is that, look, if you want to buy a baseball team, you need to come to grips with the fact that it's a vanity purchase. Uh, you, you know, you're, it, it's like buying a Corvette or, you know, buying a, I don't know, a really expensive piece of art. Like your goal shouldn't be to match, maximize profits like you're buying it because then you get to uh you know be a celebrity around town you get to be on tv if you're looking to make a ton of money as much money as possible then go invest in real estate or or something you know what i mean like yeah and 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 believe me this isn't just directed at dewitt this is obviously a problem all throughout baseball and i guess professional sports in general it's like these teams have gotten too profitable there's too much money to make now off these teams (laughs) that the people who get the short end of it are people like you and I who are going to be here long after meeting the fans long after the front office is gone. Uh, I mean, not front office long after ownership is gone uh, and some, you know, new owner steps in. Uh, So it's really frustrating you know, and for him, if he, if, if they just want to stand and again, I didn't watch the press conference. So correct anything I say, if I'm like not, I don't know if, if I'm speaking out of context with what he actually said, but if DeWitt wants to stand up there and just totally deflect the question, fine. But to say like, well, you know, we're actually right here in payroll and right here in, you know, spending, like that's not the point. Like the point is yeah. we want this team to be as good as possible. Um, and there are free agents out there who, who, who like, as I said earlier, who, who would, who would get you there? 
And, and to just like kind of brush that aside as like, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm covered because for our market size, we spend a lot of money. Like no one, literally no one wants to hear that. Well, like we do not care about that. I don't care about that. Like I don't care where their spending is. Um, we all know it's a super profitable franchise. We all know it's a marquee franchise. Um, we also know that the fans are slightly getting fed up with them. Like, and it's not only in attendance, but just how like quiet the ballpark can seem at times. It's almost like we're getting bored of this team. Yeah. Someone asked about that too, about whether there was sort of a problem with the fan base connecting with this team right now, which I thought was an interesting question. I didn't think it That's really a got question. a fair answer. Yeah. What'd they say? Um, uh, it was kind of just sort of a brush off. Like, no, I don't, I don't really think that's a problem. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but there was a, I, in fact, that might've been, I'd have to go back and, and listen to it again, but that might've been when uh, DeWitt responded with, no, I think the fan base is enthused. <laughs> and I was like, well, you don't spend much time with the fan base, do you? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it was it was an interesting press conference in that I felt like we heard more from Mike Gersh than we normally do. So that was a positive. I would actually like to hear more from him because I think he has some really interesting things to say when he's ever given a chance to say them. Um, Mo did the the usual kind of charm you with a, a non-answer and then continue to not answer. And I felt like it was just really... Uh, qu- quite honestly, I felt like he was really just disconnected from the reality of what the team is and its fan base is like right now and that that was the most frustrating thing to me whether it was the answer about feeling like there was no issue between the connection with the the fans and the team or the comment about well we're sixth in payroll and 11th in revenue or whatever it was like there's just a disconnect from the reality of how this baseball team in the past, in the the recent past, has related to the fans and to the city, and um, you know how they can go out and, and win a championship, and and sort of where they're at now. And that was that was the feeling I got from <laughs> the Dewitt answers. But I don't know that that was unexpected. It was just uh, quite obvious with with some of the things well, that he had to say. Well, here's a question: uh, What was up with Mosaic's sport coat? It, it looks like he was wearing what someone would wear if they got invited to like a tacky golf party. Like, or where, where, the like, tie. Dress like what is on his tie? <laughs> I kept trying to figure it out. It's all I could look at while he was talking. I was trying to figure out what was happening with the sport coat and the tie. You know you have job security when you can show up to a press conference dressed <laughs> like that. He's normally good about that stuff. No, but I, know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, he's usually pretty, yeah. pretty sharp. Yeah. Um. I guess I don't. I don't know. Maybe it was a. Maybe it was. A, he's so intentional. Maybe it was a distraction technique, so that that's what we ended up talking about uh, instead of the fact that there was nothing of substance. Um, no, I did think one comment from him was interesting, and then we can kind of go where we want to from this. But uh, he was asked point blank. I believe it was Benjamin Hockman. So shout out to Hockman for the directness of this question. Um, he asked, how does the offense get better? And Mo responded with hit more <laughs> um, initially. And he's right. That's, that's sort of the without bringing anyone else in, that's how you get better answer. And I think there's plenty to talk about as far as that's concerned. But something else he said a little bit later was that um, 
last year, the team talked about how they needed to be better with base running and defense and how that was just such a fundamental thing that they had to be better at in order to be competitive. And then we've talked about a number of times, as has Mike Schilt, that uh, they were really good at, at defense and at base running this year for the most part. And Mo's point was we made a decision to 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 focus on that and to create a plan and to make that a goal and then to figure out how to make those improvements and it wasn't about going out and bringing in one really good defender and adding him to the mix. It was about everyone getting better at their jobs. So that's what, in his mind, the the same philosophy will apply to their hitting approach and the way that they go about things offensively is that it's not necessarily about adding a better player. It's about everyone getting better at their jobs, which as as much as we give him <laughs> grief for not answering things, I did feel like that was a fairly reasoned statement um, and something that we sort of talked about last week in that it kind of doesn't matter who you bring in if, you know, five out of seven guys are underperforming. <laughs> the one guy you bring in isn't going to make the difference. They got to figure out how to be better at doing their jobs, which is, which is hitting. So there were a lot of questions about Jeff Albert and kind of the hitting philosophy that he didn't really answer, but I thought that was an interesting way to explain sort of what their approach is going into the off season and, <laughs> you know, put a positive spin on it because it worked last year, right? Yeah. I, well, it's certainly not unreasonable to look at Paul Goldschmidt, uh, Matt Carpenter, uh, who else? Um, maybe even Yachty um, in uh, project a bounce back from those guys at the plate. Yeah. But you shouldn't. You should be very careful about relying on that. You know, and and I think that's what's frustrating uh, about like a lot of the, about this idea of we're just kind of kind of going with a very similar roster to what we had last year. And you know, I. I hate to sound like super negative um, because, you know, I was thrilled with how basically how the season turned out. I mean, look, we won the NL Central uh, and went to the NLCS and, and that was great. Um, I think what's what's frustrating to me is, as I've already said twice, like it seems like they're almost there, um, but that they're yeah. not going to take the extra step, which uh, let's to be fair, which is would require spending a lot of money, um, you know, increasing payroll to where it's never been before. Um, and yes, of course, it's not my money, um, but as as we know, that it's certainly a thing they can afford to do. And and that's where I think where the frustration comes from. Uh, Let me ask you this: we you sort of alluded to it. We were going to talk about it anyway. There are free agents available that are top tier guys, right? Anthony Rendon, yeah. Garrett Cole, um, you know, guys that are top tier players. Steven Strasburg, evidently, um, is going to be in that mix. If if you add Anthony Rendon, does that push them over the top? Does that, I, I mean, uh, well, the, I don't want to take away from what he does, but like if I'm looking at this team as a whole yeah. and you add Rendon in and don't change anything else. Does that do enough? This is what I think it does. I think it makes them the favorite, the clear-cut favorite to win the NL Central. And that's 
the most important thing because that's the best way to set yourself up to succeed in the postseason. Um, without a player like Rendon or Garrett Cole, they're in the mix to win the NL Central. Um, but yeah. with with guys like that, I think they're the favorite. Now, that doesn't mean um, a whole lot. You know, you still have to play the games, and just because of their favorite doesn't mean that that they that it would turn out that way. Uh, just ask the Astros. Exactly. Well, I mean, they still won 107 <laughs> games. So, you know, they did. You know, they almost got there. You know, so yeah, I, I think it would make a. Uh, you know, Rendon really is that good. Like his, he, he was, he's so I was good. actually surprised Strasburg won the MVP. Um, as good as Strasburg was, like yeah. I thought Rendon should have been the MVP of that series. Uh, he had so many uh, big hits. Um, in the World Series and his glove, like his his hitting is so good, it almost overlooks his glove, which um, to me is on par with Nolan Arenado, and he's a better hitter than Arenado. Um, so he really is that valuable. Uh, being able to hand the ball to Garrett Cole every five days uh, with a guy like Jack Flaherty also in the rotation, I mean that would be the best rotation in the National League. Um, yeah, that's that's where I think. Uh, look, if you if you offer me Anthony Rendon, I will take that a hundred times out of a hundred. But like for me, the problem the Cardinals had this year wasn't a lack of ability to hit; it was a lack of consistency in hitting, and more than one guy doing it at a time. So, I mean, if if Anthony Rendon is in that mix, that's great. If you don't have you know at least two or three other guys in that lineup that are also going to be at least close to their career norms instead of underperforming all of them, I'm just not sure that y- that you're still going to get the consistency that they need to not go into these big stretches where they're not scoring any runs. That said, I think what we did see from both teams that ended up in the World Series or the teams that the Cardinals struggled the most against is that they had more than one superstar starting pitcher. <laughs> so if you add a Garrett Cole to the mix, if you add a Steven Strasburg to the mix, as far as the, the rotation is concerned, like that's a, a dynamic change to me that that we've sort of been talking about for years is that they need that one-two punch, not just the the one guy that is kind of the ace figure. And it took him a while to get there this year with Jack Flaherty, but he he certainly took that that role on. I feel like that's a that would be a huge boost to that side of the game. But then again, they're still not necessarily going to score runs for those guys like they didn't do for Jack Flaherty. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, in a, in a perfect world, they do both, right? The, the guys who are still there, who are going to be there, adapt better to the Jeff Albert philosophy or whatever it is. And then you still bring in Rendon and it's like a, a double boost to what, we saw last year. Yeah. I, I don't know if I totally agree. Like, I, I feel like Rendon, um, I, I wouldn't be that worried about him at the plate. Uh, I, I think, and I, I think what I'm not worried about him. I'm worried about everyone else. Oh yeah, certainly. Um, but, but I think that's why what makes Rendon so important. Um, he, he might be that one constant that we would need on the team. Uh, as you said, look, t- trying to pick who who would be better between Rendon and Garrett Cole is one um, a very hard thing to do because they're both uh, you know that they would both 
complete the team in their own way. Uh, and two is very hard to do because we both know neither. <laughs> so yeah, this like, is a, these dream, are sort of pipe like, dream yeah. conversations, yeah. Um, like, much like we did with Bryce Harper last year. But nonetheless, but like, why would you not um, uh, l- let a player like Garrett Cole set the set the market and then go after Steven Strasburg, who's who's going to be expensive, but not as expensive as Garrett Cole. Yeah. Well, like, and who is perhaps one of the most, well, you know, I, I think the cat's kind of out of the bag after that world series performance, but who is one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball? Yeah, totally. When I, when the Cardinals faced the nationals, that last series of the regular season, when the Cardinals beat Strasburg and um, Scherzer, I, was talking in the preview about how Strasburg is the guy that I almost always forget is as good as he is. <laughs> like, because he's so overshadowed by Scherzer and sometimes Corbin and and whoever else happens to be in the mix and in, in with the Nationals at the time. Like Strasburg's that guy that I'm always like, oh yeah, they have him too. Um I would take that <laughs> certainly as an upgrade for the Cardinals next year. And they're gonna have to figure something out in their rotation, even if Adam Wainwright does come back. Um Strasburg would be a, a terrific addition. And yeah, if if Garrett Cole kind of sets the market, I think part of it too becomes what's the market gonna do? <laughs> because it's been so bizarre the last couple of winters and it's taken so long for anything to develop that I kind of get the feeling the Cardinals front office is like, yeah, we're not gonna sit around and wait. We're just gonna come up with a different plan. And maybe they need to just be more patient. Maybe they need to be willing to kind of wait it out and and go from there, but then not so patient that they, uh, you know, sort of lowball themselves out of any of these conversations. I, I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting situation that the Cardinals are in this year, coming off of a season where they checked a lot of the boxes. Right? They won the division. They won a, a round in the playoffs. They made it to the NLCS, and and then some of those <laughs> boxes get left off, right? And it's not just the World Series. It's how they were able to maintain their performance or not maintain their performance late in the postseason and what they have to do to be not just a team that's competitive in the division, but a team that's competitive in October. And they're in a, a position where they sort of locked themselves up quite a bit with the extensions that they gave out and some of the longer-term contracts they already have in place but that doesn't mean there isn't there 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 aren't options, okay. right? We we talked about it with Bryce Harper last year, right? That any one of these teams that wanted to could have signed him to a three hundred million dollar. They can do it. They just don't want. So to. I, I was going to ask you from watching the press conference today. Did you come away with the impression that even guys like Bumgarner or Zach Wheeler or Odorizzi are not in the plans? Um, no, but- and it, one thing I will say that I I don't think was really getting talked about following the press conference is that. Um, Mo was very careful as he always is to, to not really show any of their cards and to not say, this is something we're definitely not doing. This is something we definitely are doing. Um, but he mentioned at one point, it's hard to talk about kind of where guys are going to play and what roles they're going to have, because we don't know who's going to be here. There might be trades and there might be other people that come in and, then we don't know what's going to happen in the spring. So he did what he always does in leaving the door open. And there was never an indication of like, we're, we're shutting it down, packing it in for the winter. We'll see it in the spring. Right. It was just, I think the comment about 
um, Derek Gould asked about payroll flexibility and how they find payroll flexibility. And that was the question that got the answer. Well, we spend enough money, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then there was a follow up about kind of what you what you do with that and how you how that changes with with the way the revenue changes. And that got an answer that said, well, revenue doesn't change that much. <laughs> so that I think is where everyone reasonably kind of got caught up in this idea that, well, they're not going to do anything. I, I don't think that was as clear cut as the reactions made it seem, but there was also no indication like other teams may have given at times, or even like the Cardinals gave last year where it was like, Hey, we know we need to do some stuff. We're going to go out and get it done. Now they may not have accomplished all of that last season, but there was a list, right? There was a list of things that they needed to do last off season. And that wasn't really there this time around as far as, you know, being willing to say, we're going to look for a third baseman and we're going to look for this and we're going to look for that. Yeah. Um, so it, it was just, it was all very vague. It was all the number of times that John Mosellock said, I don't really know yet. We don't really know yet. We don't really know yet. <laughs> um, I think left everything open except for raising payroll um, any sort of significant amount. Well, something is going to be written at some point that's going to get my hopes up that they're going to pull this <laughs> yes. sort of covert move to like, whether it's trade for Mookie Betts or like Francisco Lindor, uh, which I would really love because he still has two yep. years left. Love that yeah, guy. And to, yeah, me too. Like that's my, I, I think that's just the type of player I would love. I would love to be able to watch every day. And he's, he's not a free agent until 2022. So, you know, two seasons left. Um, but then I'm fully prepared to uh, have the off season come and go and just be like, well, okay. Um, I, uh, I should have known, but <laughs> yeah. the the idea of a trade of one of those guys is sort of intriguing because mm-hmm. it allows them to maybe uh, um, stay near their payroll where they want to be while still upgrading um, in yeah. a huge, huge way. No, I think that's but, a great point. But I don't want to even give any sort of credence to um, <laughs> them acquiring like <laughs> oh like. Tier tier one level super superstars when that hasn't been reported really in any sort of serious sense. Yeah, we were joking before that there's this um, top fifty MLB free agents list, right? And they all mention who the the potential suitors for these players are. And I was laughing looking through this list because the only players that the Cardinals are attached to in any of these very early on, hey, this could potentially be a fit, are guys like Corey Dickerson and Cole Calhoun and Yasiel Puig and Hunter Pence. (laughs) What? None of these are the guys that are going to make a significant difference in what the Cardinals are able to do offensively. Yeah, and (laughs) and we have no rumor need for those guys you know you make room in a crowded outfield for a uh superstar outfield yeah (laughs) a superstar outfielder you don't need to make room for hunter pence um (laughs) as much you know as as good of a player as hunter pence has been and as great of a character he is uh you know he would certainly be fun to watch that's just the type of move that would really really be strange um unless they did some other maneuvering to, to where he did sort of fit. I don't know. Uh, 
same with Puig and you know Puig is kind of similar to Hunter Pence he's a uh he's a good player he he's a character he'd be fun to have around uh I don't know if they need <laughs> if, if that's their first need right now um yeah. Yeah, I, I it's it's an interesting it was interesting to me to see those guys be the ones that you know the experts or whatever are connecting them to. Um and and also Puig seems like in this in this day of free agency Puig seems like very unlikely because the middle class is basically dead, yeah. right? Like those kind of contracts that Fowler got just a couple of years ago. That seems to be a hard a contract that's hard to come by now. And that seems to be what where Puig would would fall, right? Like he's also kind of like the profile of player they already have, right? Like a guy who has power but is also going to strike out a lot. <laughs> like, I'm not sure they really need more of that. Yeah. Um, yes, certainly not when they already have, uh, yeah, Lane Thomas and Tyler O'Neill, and you know, who am yeah. I missing? Yeah, I, I can't. You know, plenty of plenty of guys. Yeah. Um, as far as Hunter Pence. I do want to say shout out to Levi Weaver, who writes for The Athletic. I had him on a a series preview earlier this year, and he did this really fascinating piece on how Hunter Pence basically broke down his hitting mechanics to the very bare bones and rebuilt them and then had a terrific season when he wasn't injured. Um, So if you want a cool offseason read, uh, you should go check that out. Levi Levi Weaver for The Athletic. It was a really cool story. Um, We got sort of like a mini breakdown on the <laughs> on the series preview that was kind of fun. So Hunter Pence, weird guy, <laughs> but it was a cool story about how he kind of extended his career by being willing to break it all down and build it back up again. Not related to anything else, except that there's not a whole lot more to say about the Cardinals at this point, because there wasn't a whole lot to come out of that press conference, other than <laughs> um, a lot of reasons for fans to kind of get a feeling that perhaps ownership is a little out of touch and perhaps the front office is um, underestimating what a lot of people think needs to be fixed this year. Although I will say uh, I would love to hear Mike Gersh talk more about what they're expecting from the expanded analytics department, which they did talk about a little bit and how to, uh, how to make that, equal results because he's sort of the he's the numbers guy right he's the he's the spreadsheet guy and i would love to hear him actually talk about that instead of um always having mo be the one to say they think they're fine his his final quote about that i think was i think right now we're good but we're trying to be better or something like that and i was like well that seems that seems like an appropriate john mazela quote about the entirety of this press conference you could have just just said that one line and then everyone would have been done. <laughs> uh, someone, I think it was with regard to the rumors or not necessarily rumors, but the possibility that Shilt could be extended. Someone tweeted, this seems unnecessary, but whatever, I wouldn't care. Um, and that to me just sums up the Cardinals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of unnecessary, but I, I don't care. Whatever. And I think that's sort of uh, the nature of the position that they're in, right? The, they came off of a season that was we were have said multiple times, or mostly pretty satisfied with how it ended up. I mean, obviously you get to the postseason and you want to win the World Series, but they went further than I think a lot of us thought they would, further than I thought they would. And 
for the most part, kind of overperformed what a lot of their players were actually doing because they were underperforming. So it was a weird year that led to yeah. pretty reasonable results. And now it's kind of just like, it's fine, but I the, guess. And the point though, is we want them next year to go further, yes. which is why we are, it sounds like we're being negative and ungrateful, but no, like we want, we want as much pressure on them to ensure that they're going to go as far as as far as they're capable, I guess. Um, I think it's pretty easy to look at the Cardinals compared to the Nationals and the Astros, even the Yankees, and see that there are significant holes, right? As much as we can love the, yeah. the players and the team and what they accomplished this year, it's not it's not hard to see where there is a difference in, in some cases, talent, and in other cases, consistency. And so to look at that and think, okay, this team, as it's constructed, went that far. What if you do a little here and a little there and make some changes and then put yourself more on even playing field with those teams so you don't have to be the underdog that comes in and surprises everyone. You can be the team that has confidence going into the series because you know you have the roster in place to beat those teams. I mean, it's it's not... I don't think it's unfair to look at what they did this last season and say, cool, that's good and great. I don't know that anything they've done to this point (laughs) was really necessary, but it's fine. But how do they actually get better and not just hope to create better results with the same mix? I I think that's totally fair. And that's what we're going to do a lot of this offseason, to be sure, even if they don't. <laughs> yeah, being an underdog is fun, uh, but being a juggernaut is even more fun, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, you know, watching that World Series, and I, I think most people feel as though the, the Nationals winning was was a little bit of an upset. Um, that said, even in a seven-game series, had the Cardinals been there and won, that would have been a crazy, massive upset. Yeah, for the Cardinals beat the Astros because watching those team two teams play, they seemed in a different league than the Cardinals. Um, even and and I and I feel confident making you know making that determination even in a small sample of a seven uh, best of seven series. They just seemed on another level than the Cardinals, and, and that and that's what I want the Cardinals to feel like when they take the field to be like one of those teams, and they're not there yet. And we've seen that, right? I think that's part of it is that we know yeah, what it's like oh, to yeah, watch a Cardinals team absolutely. be like that. And, um, you know, it's been to, a while, to, but yeah. it has been a while. And I think that's part of the angst, right? It's not just getting back to the postseason. It's it's wanting to be that team again, that that every team you face knows we're going to have to bring our best against these guys if we're going to have a chance to win right now there are a lot of other teams in baseball that can say that or or that have that effect. The Cardinals aren't one of them. So as much fun as the last season was in watching them get to where they were um, in watching Colton Wong's success in watching Paul DeYoung do what he did until he just sort of ran out of gas at the end of the season and watching Tommy Edmond become a guy that's going to be in the mix in some fashion nearly every day, unless there's, you know, a trade involved that, that solves some of that, complication um i mean a lot of these things were fun but i don't know that i feel confident i don't know that a lot of people feel confident in uh, lane thomas and randy rosarena and harrison bader and tyler o'neill and eventually dylan carlson as the 
outfielders that are going to give you that fear factor. They might be at some point if they play enough, but I don't know that opening day, those guys are going to be the ones that, that sort of take that team to the next level. We'll see what happens with them, um, but it's way more fun to talk about Anthony Radon and Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg and, you know, whoever else Mookie might Betts. come into the mix yeah. on the, yeah, Mookie Betts. Imagine being a uh, Red Sox fan. Or. I'd be losing my mind if I was a Red Sox fan. <laughs> They're talking about trading Mookie Betts, uh, a guy who's just a season removed from having a Mike Trout-like year, and you're the Red Sox. You have so much money. Uh, just complete malfeasance on their part, in my opinion. But that's probably neither here nor there. Not we'll see if they now, if they actually move him. Yeah, we'll yeah, save this question cool. for we'll save this question for another time because I'm sure we'll talk about potential trade targets as we go throughout the offseason. But the the curious thing to me about that is who would it take <laughs> to get Mookie Betts? Um, because that's not going to be a small. No deal no. on the part of the Cardinals. So no, y- y'all can think about that and let us know. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Maybe we'll save it for when it be, is more relevant and they're actually talking about it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but Alex, that's all I've got from the press conference, from possible free agents, unless you have someone you want to uh, to bring up before the trip of the week. No, the only thing I'll say is that's what was cool about the Nationals winning the World Series is, one, this is a franchise that spent a ton of money on pitching, um, and it paid off. And, two, this is a franchise that wasn't afraid to take a chance and deal uh, a player like uh, Lucas Giolito to to get Adam Eaton, a a trade Mm. that probably when they made it, they knew at some point it wasn't going to look great on their end but a trade that was made because they were in win-now mode. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought it, it, it took, like, I think they have guts, um, at least as compared to other front offices, um, and I think that's commendable. And so that was um, good to see. Uh, but, yeah, that's all I have to say. Uh, I chirp of the week. We can go there now. I don't have a lot this week other than, you know, as we were talking at the top of the show, it was Golden Glove week. Um, Anytime we're talking about the Rawlings Gold Glove, I always, uh, not always, but often think about Ozzie Smith, who seemed to just kind of, um, you know, be the face of that award. He won 13 in a row from 1980 to 1992. Uh, I'm sure if we went back and litigated each one of those, uh, who knows, at some point, Perhaps his reputation, you know, <laughs> carried him to a win at some point or whatever. But even that said, Ozzie Smith really was like the greatest defensive shortstop um, that that we have seen, if not of all time, and if not the greatest defensive player uh, anywhere on the diamond of all time. He was that good. Um, and I was messing around on Fangrass leaderboards, um, and I've looked at this before. But since 1947, so since the league has been integrated, uh, there have been 79 position players um, with at least 60 wins above rec- uh, wins above replacement. That's Fangraphs uh, wins above replacement. Ozzie Smith is one of those guys. Uh, he has uh, uh, 67.6 uh, WAR. He is the only one out of those 79. Um, and, and his war, that 67.6 ranks uh, 46. 
he's the only one out of those 79 to have a WRC plus under 100. That shows you how good his defense was, how highly regarded uh, his defense was. To find another player on this on this leaderboard who had a WRC plus under 100, you have to drop all the way down to number 107, and there sits Yadier Molina um, <laughs> at, at 99. Uh, to find a non-cardinal, you have to go down to 128, number 128, and there's Jimmy Rollins um, with 49.4 WAR, and he had a 95 WRC plus. And the thing about Ozzy Smith, and especially like if you look at his career from probably like 1984 on, he was actually a very good hitter, or at least a very good hitter as the position required. He was always very good at getting on base. He never struck out. He was basically, uh, he was right on par with Tony Gwynn in terms of never striking out. So he certainly wasn't a slouch at the plate, but no, he was mostly known for his defense. Um, and for good reason. He made uh, the most spectacular defensive plays I have ever seen. It's why he was immediately my favorite player uh, the minute I first started watching and becoming cognizant of this sport of baseball. And he was just a joy to watch. Um, and I miss having a guy like that. I think that's why I said earlier, like Francisco Lindor would be like my yeah. dream player because Ever since like Ozzy's left, it's always kind of like that chasing the dragon thing of trying to find another, another player who would kind of fit that mold, kind of bring that same excitement to the ballpark, uh, because that's pretty much what Ozzy did. Um, and there you go. That's your chirp of the week. Ozzy, uh, Mr. Gold Glove, uh, best defensive player I've ever seen, and I'm glad that he seems to hold that reputation uh, kind of throughout baseball. He does, and it's also why offense should have nothing to do with a defensive award. Just yes, gonna yeah, throw that out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that certain like he, I, his defense was so good it kind of d- transcended all that, right? Yeah. Like, like he right. could have hit poorly, and there could have been another shortstop. You know, l- luckily for him, like you know, Trammell and Ripken, the very good shortstops of his time, were in the other league. Uh, but there could have been another very good hitting shortstop in the National League, and it probably wouldn't have mattered because his defense was held in that high regard. But yes, you are 100% correct. And <laughs> hopefully that trend is kind of dying out. The idea of, uh, you know, I, I feel like baseball is in such a place now with statistics and fans uh, knowing what they're talking about that it's really hard to kind of BS a Gold Glove Award. But it like, is. Like although, it's very hard for them to hand out one and us not have a bunch of eyebrows raised and be like, what are you talking about? Some of That's the arguments I've part. seen against Colton Wong winning Ayers? a Gold Glove this last week i just don't understand how what, it's, what were they how it's still a thing um i mean for the most part it's yeah errors are part of it yeah uh and uh, the rest of it is that it's like people don't people don't understand the the stats that are actually being used uh-huh. defensively so it's just kind of i test uh fan bias I think our guy should have won and it's just silly. And, and the coaches vote on it as well. And so yeah. like, that's not always the greatest thing ever in the world. Right. I, I did. Are you saying coaches aren't unbiased? <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm saying, I'm not saying that. And I'm also not saying that they aren't always, even though they might be very good at coaching the game, they, they might not be very good at this part in terms of the evaluation. Um, well, especially because they're not always watching these other guys. Exactly. They're watching their own guys. Exactly. Especially if you're talking about, 
you know, you might only have uh, two series against one. You know, right. if you're talking about a team that's in another uh, division, then you barely even see these guys. Now, I did yeah. hear Matt Trueblood on the Riggerville Nation podcast say that Golden Glo- that the Gold Glove Awards has teamed up with Sabre to kind of add a little more analytical, yeah. uh, I guess, evaluation to to the award. And so that is a good step in the right direction. I And I didn't know that. But yeah, Fielding Bible Awards, the price still where it's at. That said, good job, Colton. Good, <laughs> and good job, Ozzy Smith, on all 13 of your awards. That, there you go. That's all. There you go. He earned all, th- all yeah. 13. I used to have this poster at some point uh, where he was like dressed up like a music- uh, musician, a magician, and he had on like a uh, gold glove. Uh, nice. Yeah, I, I, might, I might do a Google image search for that poster right now. I, I mean, the, the cool thing about the gold glove is that they actually get one. <laughs> I don't no, know what the know. Yeah. what the Fielding Bible Award is, but it's probably not as cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for this poster right now. Where is it? I'm not having any luck. All right, when I find it, I'm gonna send it to you. There you go. It was a cool poster. Right. It was in my room when I was like 13 years old. Cool. And that's why the gold glove is still a big deal because you can make a poster of it. Anyway, that is uh, the first of the off-season episodes of Chirps and hopefully we'll have more to talk about so we don't just (laughs) (laughs) don't just ramble on about whatever happens to be i could talk about the hockey game because that's on right now because there's no no Uh, baseball i was watching the bulls lakers game on mute um i mean watching i was barely paying attention to it or not paying attention to it at all which is definitely a downgrade from watching the world series <laughs> or a Cardinals game on mute when we are, when we are doing this one uh, week when there's absolutely nothing to talk about, we should just do that. Just like awkwardly comment on a totally different sport and <laughs> see oh, what happens. Oh, I, I found the poster. I'm sending it to you right now. Nice. Oh, I see. There it is. The gold glove. Yeah. He, Magician he, he, Smith himself. I think he's like making it appear. Yeah. Is that what he's doing? Like I think the way, so. Like, ta-da sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we need a Colton Wong poster. Someone design us a, a gold glove Colton Wong poster uh, as a result of this you know, and conversation. I, I'll, I'll tell this story another time, maybe next week, because we don't have time now. But I also had this other Ozzy Smith poster, and uh, one, and it was uh, had like glass over it. Um, and one time I was trying to hang it up, and it fell down, and it. Uh, broke all over my face um, and then I went to a graduation party and not realizing it, it was like like plastic I don't know what kind of glass it was and I went to this party and everyone's like I thought I cleaned it all off and everyone's like what is wrong with you and I guess there was still like glass all over my face. oh no <laughs> oh boy all right well we'll leave you with that teaser for a uh, for story time some other time and we'll wrap this one up I hope that you all enjoyed that conversation. If you listen to the to the press conference, let us know what you thought. If you didn't listen to the press conference, um, don't worry, you didn't miss a whole <laughs> lot. Just just don't don't waste your time. Uh, we filled you in on all the important parts. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show for more of this glorious content over the off season. I will hopefully not sound as sick next week. That's also a thing that's happening. And you can follow along at Birds on the Black. I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. You know where to find us on all of your favorite podcast devices or, or uh, services, whatever app you use to listen. And we would appreciate it if you would leave us a review or um, rate if you are on 
Apple Podcasts because then other people can find us too. And the more, the merrier. So for now, I'm Sarah. He's Alex. We'll talk to you next time.